everybody. How's it going? Doing very well. Thank you. Happy Sunday. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially this blessing of a life. You've given it to us for a reason, for a purpose. And we offer it up to you now in worship. So guide our voices and guide our minds. Give us strength and peace. Help us rest in you and be hungry for you in all things. Amen.
What an awesome season we're in right now, working our way up to Easter, remembering what Christ did for us so long ago, but it is so very relevant for every second of our lives, and I love that song, God is so holy. If you guys are visiting, welcome to Friends Church. We just have a couple announcements this morning before we uh, dismiss the Kids to Kids Church. Uh, one thing we want to let you know about is this Wednesday, we're going to be doing a bonfire for Young and Company, which is our youth group, um, out behind the church. So if you're a parent uh, and you come to pick up your children and they're missing from the front, look behind the church. And then also we're going to be combining middle school and high school for this lock-in. So, or for sorry, this bonfire, lock-ins later, bonfire. So um, 
It's going to be from 6 to 7.30 on Wednesday. So uh, if you all come at 6, we're just going to be making s'mores and hot dogs and stuff in the back. So from uh, 6th grade all the way up to seniors, more than welcome to come and join us for that. And then uh, we wanted to put this out to you. On April 3rd, which is Good Friday, we're going to be having a worship night here at the church. And it's also going to be a night of prayer. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, and then we're going to be doing a potluck as well. So put that on your calendars because it's going to be just a great night to just remember. I mean, it's Good Friday, so the Friday right before Easter, just to focus our time on remembering what Christ did and, and expectation for the resurrection. It's just going to be a really good time. So that's going to be Good Friday, April 3rd, uh, here at the church. Um, and then we'll be giving you more information about it as well. And then another thing I wanted to remind you about is that in your bulletins this week, they still have the pamphlet for the Team 120. And there is a screen on the, or there's a slide on the TVs out there as well. And that is just uh, a team of people that are committing to pray for the church for a year. Um, and the prayer requests are on there. If you have any questions, you can call the office. But in signing your name on the line, all you're doing is committing to say, I'm going to pray every single week for the core prayers for our church and just stand with all of us as a body in what we're praying for. And then we'll be giving you updates as updates come. But uh, we won't be bombarding you with much else besides just that. So you're not committing your life away. But to be able to stand together as a church and pray is awesome. And it's something we're really looking forward to doing together. So um, on that note, if you guys, uh, if you are visiting, we'd love to welcome you to the meet and greet, which is out in the coffee shop after the service, where there'll be some staff and some team, lead, team leaders to just introduce themselves and just welcome to our church. So we're going to dismiss the kids to church, uh, to kids' church at this time. So if you guys want to just stand and just greet one another or take a stretch or something, we'll be back in just a second. Thank you. joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue thy free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affection and bound my soul fast without thy sweet mercy I could not live here sin would produce me to utter despair but through thy free goodness my spirit revived and he that first made me so keeps me alive thy mercy is more than a match for my heart which wonders to free in its own heart
take my soul, take my life, my Lord. Take my soul, take my life, my Lord. Take my soul, take my life, my Lord. will lift you up in their hands. How dare you put God to the test? If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you the whole world.
As we did with the uh, Christmas time, we're going to do with the Easter season as well. Remember, we did uh, Advent, and during uh, Advent, we celebrated the entire season over several weeks. And in our culture, um, at least in our country, we tend to focus on the big event, the big show. You know, we, we focus on Christmas Day, we focus on that Easter Sunday, Fourth uh, of July, whatever uh, holiday we focus on. And, and we're busy, we don't have a lot of time to, to throw into these things. But what we're trying to do as a church body is take that time to understand that there is a backstory that leads up to Christmas. There is a backstory that leads up to Easter, that Easter is not just about you know, finding the right dress and, and wearing your bonnet and hiding Easter eggs. and Or even if we take it a little bit more seriously, all, sometimes we, we only focus on maybe the Friday and the Saturday part of it. And we don't do um, any, we take no time to focus on everything that led up to it. And this year we're doing something different. And so that's why we started out with a uh, series on prayer to get us ready for this. Uh, and then last week, of course, Eric talked about fasting, um, which is also big here, as we just saw with uh, Jesus in the desert. Um, but let's take a, a moment to pray and to ask God to bless the offering, and then we'll continue on with today's message. Our dear Heavenly Father, conqueror of Satan and, and, and survivor in the wilderness and, and, and our rescuer and our salvation, Please, uh, we ask for blessing over this offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The text uh, that we're going to use, this temptation story appears in a couple of different places in the Gospels. And uh, we're going to use Matthew uh, today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And uh, the text goes something like this. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot on, against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms over the world and all their splendor. And he says, all this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Right after Jesus was baptized, you remember, this is when this all occurred, John the Baptist um, took care of Jesus, put him in the water, and then Jesus, after fasting, is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. Now, you, you, you might ask yourself, why would the Spirit do it? Why is this 
important. You know, and undoubtedly during those 40 days and nights, Jesus was praying, he was thinking, he was questioning, asking God, what, what is it that you want of me? What is the end game here? Um, he was preparing his soul and he went out there. And you might ask why he was tempted. Why bother tempting Jesus? Because Jesus is 100% man, that is true, but he's also 100% God. Now, I know a lot of you are, 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 are pretty savvy in math and know that 100% of two things is kind of difficult for us to imagine, but for God, it's not. For Jesus, it's not. It's a sermon for a whole other time. Just take my word for it. He was 100% man and 100% God. So we say to ourselves, at least I did when I was a kid. I thought, meh, big deal. So what? He goes out and he's tempted by Satan. He's God. He can do anything, right? He can, he can change water into wine and cast out demons and, and, you know, walk on water. He can do all these things. Surely this is not a big deal for him. But what the scripture imparts to us is that, in fact, he was tempted. He was 100% man. He was just like you and me. Well, you know, if the devil showed up for us, of course, it was that guy right there. He'd show up. We'd probably just do it. He wouldn't have to tempt us. He would scare us to death. But with Jesus, we want to see the fact that he is 100% man. And he has the same desires, both biological and moral things going on in his head that you and I have going on in ours. And so it is a real big deal, not to mention the fact that he's out there in the wilderness for 40 days. Well, why the wilderness, you say? Why couldn't he have just done this in an instant, say, in the Garden of Gethsemane? And I guess the reason is because the wilderness is a void. It's, it's out there. It's, it's harsh. It's unpredictable. Everything in wilderness can kill you, all right? The food will kill you if you eat you know, the wrong berries or the wrong mushroom. The water, if you drink it, giardia, it can kill you. All the animals out there want to kill you. I don't know why anybody would want to go out there, but we do all the time. We like this, don't we? we like, especially as Alaskans, we like to test ourselves against the wilderness, you know. But unlike Jesus, who went out there in a robe, some sandals, and apparently, according to the movie, no provisions, we, we go glamping. Do you all know what glamping is? What's glamping? It's, it's a com- combination of two words. It's glamorous camping. Glamping. That's what we do now, right? We take, it's essentially, it's taking everything in your house and transporting it to the wilderness. So you, you, you have your tent out there. <clears throat> so it's a tent, you know, it's, it's camping, it's a tent, but inside, the, you know, you have like your inflatable king-size mattress and you know you're really roughing it when you when you have to bring your 32 inch tv instead of your 50 inch tv which is being run by your generator and there's no there's no wi-fi out there which is a real pain so you know what if you get stuck you know you're gonna have to go pick up that you can't use your iphone so you have to pick up that big heavy satellite phone and call somebody it's this is what we do today uh jesus had it a little bit worse he was out there in the wilderness and he was, the, but the thing was, is he's out there with no provisions, nobody around. He has to rely 100% on God for his survival. If you look at that and you look what he's going through, and if this is an accurate representation, you can see how rough it must have been out there exposed to the elements for 40 days and for 40 nights fasting and praying. And then towards the end of this, all these temptations, the devil comes and hits him head on with these things. Moses and Elijah also fasted. We see this fasting in the wilderness, praying in the wilderness thing all throughout the, uh, the Bible. 
And, of course, we remember Moses. He's out there uh, up on the mountain for 40 days fasting and praying before God brought him the Ten Commandments. Or Elijah, he's, he's fasting and praying, and for 40 days he walks through the wilderness until he gets to the mountain. Then he goes to the mountain and he waits up there for God's word. Forty days and forty nights. This might be uh, uh, a shadow of what happened in the in the Old Testament with the uh, the Jews, the Israelites, wandering around in the wilderness for forty years, never quite getting to the Promised Land. Well, in this case, we're a lot lucky. Jesus is going to get us into the Promised Land. His forty days and forty nights are going to culminate in a ministry. That will end with him on the cross and then him being raised, the stone being rolled away and us having a chance at salvation, us being able to make it into the promised land. Now, besides this prayer that we've been doing and this fasting, there's one more important thing that we all need to consider as we're preparing for Easter and we're getting into this Easter season. If you notice that all of Jesus' responses start with the same thing. He declares in faith, it is written. It is written. So we have our prayer. We have our fasting. We're cleansing ourselves. We're purifying ourselves. But we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Okay? Jump in. We've been hitting this really big. But just jump in and read Matthew. Read Mark. Read any of the Gospel accounts. Just get through them. You say, I've seen this before. I've read this before. I know the story. I know how it ends. What am I going to get out of it? Trust me, just by opening the Bible to any page, something will happen to you, okay? Because it's that conversation that begins to happen between you and God when you jump into the Word. Even reading stuff that you've read a hundred times. Has anybody here seen Floyd's Bible? You know what that thing looks like, right? He's got a new one, by the way. He's breaking it in. He's, uh, it's, uh, so if anybody wants to, you can go and see his new Bible and see what it's going to look like in, in 20 years. It's just, But you can see, if you open that Bible, it's, it's color-coded. There's thousands of little different marks and squiggles and annotations and, and sticky notes. And you're thinking, man, you've been reading that same thing for 20 years. But he's always getting something out of it. He's always seeing something new in the text. And even if he isn't getting something specifically out of the text, he's getting downloaded from God when he gets in there and reads it. So I, I say, just get into it. It's not too late in the year to start one of those Bible reading plans. You know what I'm saying? You can start that at any time. Jump in during this Easter season. Make it a commitment to it. So, you know, there's probably many temptations in the desert over those uh, 40 days. But uh, the Bible focuses on these three And uh, we're going to focus on these three today. There was a hard road ahead for him. And a big part of this, what the devil does, is tempts him with the same things that we would be tempted with uh, or are tempted with on a daily basis. And so we'll look at these and we'll look at parallels to our own lives and see how this works out. So the first temptation, if you are the son of God, the devil tells him, ah, Tell these stones to become bread. The devil starts by questioning Jesus' divinity, you know, if you are the Son of God, challenging to prove his power by just satisfying his hunger. You know, after 40 days with food, 
You're going to be famished. And the devil knows that. That's the first thing he goes after. He's like, dude, I know you haven't eaten anything in 40 days. There's nothing immoral about what I'm asking you to do. It's a biological desire. Just feed it. All right? We have these. There's nothing wrong with them. You have this desire for sex, this desire for food. You need it. It drives you. It's part of who you are. It makes us who we are as human beings. Our body says, I need nutrition. Go and get it. These are not immoral things. These are the devil comes right at you with these things. He says, hey, don't worry about this. But Jesus' response to the devil is, of course, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth. This is from Deuteronomy. Even in his weakness and his intense hunger, he says he's not going to live for his own appetites. He's going to live to follow God's will. God comes first. But would it have been a big deal if he had just turned a few stones into bread? Maybe. Possibly. But this is what the devil does. He can, he can twist these things. He's a lot smarter than we are. He's been at this for a long time. He can take even the seemingly uh, normal appetites of the human physical body and twist them. You see this. People do this all the time. Think about overeating or, or, or anorexia or bulimia, these, these things, these desires that we have as human beings to add nutrients to our body. The devil can twist our minds and give us perverted self-images. He can say, do that. There's nothing wrong. You're meant... We, 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 you've probably heard this argument before that man is not a, a creature that's meant to be monogamous. We're supposed to give in to our sexual desires, our desire to procreate, our desire for pleasure. Sex is a sacred thing. It's supposed to be happening in marriage, hopefully producing children. It's not something that we're supposed to just throw away, but the devil can take it and he can twist it and he will do that. We live to satisfy ourselves. We, we, you know, we want to put food on the table. There's nothing wrong with that. A roof over our heads. Make something of ourselves. Give ourselves some security. But our, the problem is our obedience to God is below all of these things. We need to put it above all of these things. How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is pray? It's tough. I know. The first thing I want to do when I wake up in the morning is get coffee. Right? I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't even want people in the same room breathing. Okay? I, I, I would just prefer if the world would just stay asleep for a few minutes while I got up, walked downstairs, tripped over the dog... As I always do, that dog's always waiting for me, always happy to see me. Dog's a morning person, not happy with the dog. Go outside, I'm going to make some coffee. I get coffee and I, you know, I take a couple of sips and I start to feel human again. Some of you, you've got to have pancakes in the morning. I don't understand you people. I don't understand morning people at all. You know, with your whistling and your, and your food 
and you and you're, and you you get like 15 ingredients and you put them out there on the countertop and you and you you mix them all together and you put them in your big Vitamix blender and you and I'm trying to sleep you know and then you you get this this thing and it's bubbling and it's green and I don't even know what's in it and 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 my wife I yes this is my wife by the way I'm talking about she's not here so we're okay Taste this. Get that thing away from me. Morning, people. But whether it's coffee you need or pancakes that you need in the morning, you have to, you have to realize that though it's important, that it's a, it's a biological desire, that though your body needs it, that you've earned it, it's still not as important as God. God has to come first challenge you these this, these next couple of weeks if not for the rest of your life before you get up and you grab that cup of joe that you pray and you thank god for hey thank you for making it helping us through the night thank you for covering us with your angels as we slept thank you for this day that i have uh, in front of me thank you for every breath that i take be thankful because you know what all the food the water the shelter the home you have can all be gone in an instant. We all know it. There could be a natural disaster tomorrow. All this is gone. And what have you got left if you don't have God? Do you want to be out in the wilderness without a compass? Without a guide? Without somebody looking after you? You have to put God first. Jesus sought the will of the Father. That was His food. He's not going to be driven by his fleshly appetites. That's what he's saying to Satan. He's going to seek to follow God's will for his life in faith. He denies himself. You can't tempt somebody with bread who isn't hungry. Temptation too. If you are the son of God, the devil says, throw yourself down for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Here the devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. Highest part, fatal fall if he jumps off. And then he quotes Psalm 91. The devil can quote scripture. He he challenges him again, of course, at first to prove his divinity. By jumping off. Why was this such a bizarre test? I mean, why tempt him for this? It's not like bread. He's hungry. Nobody wants to jump off a building. This is not really a temptation, right? This is not a big thing for us. Perhaps the devil was was asking Jesus to test God with an ultimatum to force God to prove who, who he was, to prove who Jesus was, to clear things up. He says, if you truly are the Messiah, Messiah, God's going to protect you with his angels. But if you're wrong, the devil is tempting Jesus by telling him that God will protect him from injury or death. But underneath this harmless temptation is the real reason the devil devil wants to lead Jesus astray. He wants to lead Jesus into this trap of self-glory that all of us are led into. There are things in our lives that seem like they 
are worth having, that they're moral, that this has to be God's plan for our life. But the problem is, we want to circumvent God's will in order to get there. By jumping off the temple and floating down on the wings of angels, the Jewish temple worshipers, put yourself there, right there, okay? You see Jesus, this teacher who's, who's, who's being talked about all over the place. He's, he's, you were like, what is he doing up there? And all of a sudden, he takes a step off, and these angels appear out of nowhere, grab him, and he floats down gently to the ground. Imagine what kind of spectacle this would have been for the Jewish people. People would have immediately worshipped him as their king, as their messiah. His life then would have had power, authority, glory. Isn't this what the scriptures had foretold? I mean, this is, this is a good thing. It, it can't be an immoral thing to bring about prophecy of the scriptures. But immoral means do not a moral end make. But isn't this why Jesus came to the earth? To lead his people. The Jews, the Jews were seeking a Messiah that would come to save them. A strong leader would descend from heaven and set up God's kingdom right here on earth. That's what the scripture said. But that is not why Jesus came for this glory. He didn't come for that. He came to be a humble servant to do the purpose of God. And that purpose was to be sacrificed for mankind. He takes a step back from his own glory and seeks to do the will of God. Now the devil here is being sneaky again. He says, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Nothing will happen to you. This is what God wants anyway. You're familiar with the scriptures, Jesus. Isn't this what he wants? But one little sin leads to another sin. This is what happens in our own lives. We say, we're going to take this shortcut to glory. God wants me to be uh, uh, with a woman. He wants me to marry somebody. And He wants me to have a family. And I see this woman over here that I want. Do you do the right thing? Do you follow God's path into that woman's heart? Or do you somehow circumvent it in order to get the ends what you think are the moral ends, but you have to understand there is no shortcut to these things. God doesn't give us shortcuts. You can't cheat the process. In your own life, you cannot cheat the process. This temptation of Jesus here is also a temptation of faith. And Jesus, of course, says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy again. You remember when the Israelites, they complained to Moses about, okay, Moses, you drug us all the way out here, out of Egypt, out here. We're dying of thirst. Our kids are dying of thirst. Our livestock are dying of thirst. Does God really want us here, Moses? Prove it. Have God speak to us. You don't think it went through Jesus' mind that he brought him on this whole long journey, got him, got him through this, 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 this time of his life, gave him this... This mission, this ministry, he goes out, he does all these things, and now he just wants him to die? That must have seemed a little crazy to Jesus. 
The Scripture said this Messiah is going to come and He's going to do this, 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 and this. It doesn't say anywhere that the scripture in the Scriptures that the Messiah is going to come and He's going to end up dying. The devil played on Jesus' doubts with an offer of an easy out and a reward of power and glory. But Jesus' humbleness and His faith won out once again. He knows that God is indeed with him, that he has a will, he has a plan. There is a process he's going to have to go through. And the third temptation. And this one, it's overtly immoral, all right? The first couple of, you know, the first one was, hey, have some bread. There's nothing moral or immoral about that. There's nothing wrong with that seemingly on the surface. The second one, it's like, hey, Eh, these are good ends. You know, you just got to cheat the process. We'll get there. We'll get you there a little quicker. You won't have to go through all the pain and the crucifixion and all that. But this one is just devil. The devil lays all his cards on the table with this one. He does not hold back. He says, all of this takes him to the top of a mountain, says all of this, all this splendor, the whole world, Power, wealth, glory. You can rule it. You can have it all. And all you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus rebukes the final author. He says, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. He gives up this greatest temptation to have it all. And as Christians, I think we think we'd all reject Satan you know, if he came right at us with something like this, but we don't. We're tempted all the time by these things. All the time. Money, recognition, fame, glory, possessions. Our lives are dedicated to serving other things but God. And as Jesus would later say in his ministry, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, in order to succeed, people in business will cheat all the time. You see people doing it. They'll step on 50 people to get to the top. And these people probably all started out as good people. But Satan tempts you. He says, you deserve these things and you start to believe it. Or you lie to yourself. Or you suppress your morality. Whatever the case may be, we're all tempted by overtly immoral things all the time. Sex is a big one. We're all tempted by it. Men and women, we see a beautiful human being walk by, our mind goes to bad places. Yeah, we're lucky if we only whistle. We can't help ourselves. The devil's been at this a lot longer than we have. Bible says, Scripture says, Jesus says later on, he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What good is all this stuff? And that's the thing to remember when you're when you're being tempted, when you're being tempted by these things, you have to remember what good is this in the end? What good is any of these things that the devil's throwing at us going to be for me in heaven? I'm not going to need them and there's going to be much more of it there and I won't have to pay for it. 
I won't have to hurt anybody's feelings. I won't have to sin. All this stuff, all these things are going to be there waiting for me in heaven. But I can't do it if I forfeit my soul and take them here and now. If I put these things first in my life here and now, they're not going to be waiting for me. You have to have God first. Jesus answers the devil, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus is going to serve God only. He denies himself for the third time. Jesus turns him down. He offers him everything and he turns him down. Now, each of these temptations are the same things we do all the time. All right? Ask yourself these questions this week. How do I seek to satisfy myself instead of pleasing God? All right? Before you get out of bed in the morning, before you go for that coffee or that power shake, ask God how you can please Him that day. It's an easy and great way to start the day. And who knows, you might even find by saying these prayers in the morning when you get out of bed, you won't need coffee. So far it hasn't worked for me, but I'm going to keep praying. Second question. Are you cheating the process? Are you manipulating God to attain the ends? Are you, are, are you one of these nominally Christian people? Are you sitting out there right now going, Hey, when I was a little kid or I was at church camp or, or maybe even it was a, a few months ago, I, I said, Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. I give my life to you. Whew, heaven, I'm there. And that's it. You haven't gone any further than this. Well, there's a whole process you're trying to cheat here. And the amazing thing is, unlike the devil's process, where the process is bad and the ends aren't even that great because you end up finding you've went down a dead end in order to get to this place, the process God wants you to go through is fantastic. Will it have ups and downs? You bet it will. But all through those ups and downs, which you would have if you weren't a Christian, God will be there. You'll be able to say in those times when things aren't so great, God, I need you right now, and He will be there. If you're not a Christian, when you're going through those same existential crises, who are you going to turn to? When the plane is going down, what are you going to do? A lot of people become Christians when the plane's going down. Or they remember they were Christians at one time. Don't cheat the process. It's awesome. It's there for a reason. If you're, if you're a new Christian or if you've been one of these Christians that just comes to church and just sort of hangs out in the back, you need to dive in. You need to jump in. There's a heck of a lot more waiting for you in here. Getting involved. And this isn't just about rounding up volunteers or increasing our tithing here at the church. This is us telling you, man, hey, we know from experience that God has a lot in, in mind for us, that God has an amazing world planned for us, and we're just trying to convince you to jump in. It's, this is good news. This is why it's called the gospel. That's right. Open the present. Jeez. You don't just carry the present around for your entire life. You want to look at what's inside. And third, are you playing God? Are you playing God? We do this all the time. 
Let me unpack this just a little bit, this last little point. In our world, we've gotten to the point where we don't believe anymore in objective morality. We don't believe that there is an actual set of rules that apply to everybody. We believe we can make it up as we go along. As long as I don't hurt anybody else, it's sweet. It's cool. All right, especially here in Alaska, we're very libertarian-minded. We, as long as we don't, I'm not going to put it on anybody else. And as long as what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody else, well, it is hurting somebody else. It's hurting the Father who can see everything you do. It is hurting somebody else. It's also hurting you. Whether you want to believe it or not, when you suppress this objective morality, when you make things up, when you fall short and believe that you're falling short is actually achieving, it's a really steep, slippery slope. Everything becomes possible. Everything becomes permissible when you make up the rules. You've got that nagging thing in your brain called a conscience. And it screams at you all the time, don't do that. Don't go and refill your Coke when it says no refill. Don't do that. It's a little thing, I know, but you're like, you refill that Coke, you know, the next thing you know, you're robbing banks. It's that quick. (laughs) Don't play God, all right? Listen to God. And the more you get in, the more you fast, the more you pray, the more you get into the Word, the stronger your conscience will be, the more it will scream at you. And you'll get to the point where you're like, I don't want to listen to you anymore, conscience. Please, I'll just do the right thing, okay? Just leave me alone. I'm going to call up the band at this point. By denying these three temptations, Jesus denied this earthly life. His food was to serve God, not himself. And it was this great struggle. And he would struggle all the way to the end. But he passed him. And this is why the angels came and they ministered to him. And they said, okay, we've got a journey ahead. You've passed that test. And remember this. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I've prayed. And he took them, Peter. He took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here. Keep watch. And I'm going to go a little beyond. And then he fell to the ground and he started praying. And he says, in his words, you can, you can just imagine, he says, if it were possible that this might, hour might pass from him, could you take this cup away from me? I'm afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, God. I would rather not go through this. And I know you are God. And I know that there is an end that you have in mind. And because you're God, you can get me there. A real heartfelt message to God. But what does he say? He says, yet not what I will but what you will. In your life, is it what God wills? Or is it what you will? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve yourself 
and serve God. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that if you serve yourself, it's a dead-end road. It might seem an easier path. It's not. It might seem the shortcut to glory and fame. It's not. It's a dead end. A real dead end. Because when you die, it will be the end. But it's not so with Jesus. He wants to help you. He wants you to take up His yoke. And there's some of you out there right now who have been nominally Christians and you need to recommit yourself to Jesus. And there's some of you out there right now undoubtedly who are sitting on the fence and haven't decided what you want to do, but you came to church for some reason. And that reason was because the Holy Spirit led you here because the Holy Spirit, like the conscience that's screaming in your head, is trying to tell you, I've got a better way. I've got a plan that's going to end with you and me in heaven for eternity. Will you have to bypass some of these things? Maybe. Will you have to say no to some of these things? In other words, maybe. Maybe not. But I guarantee you, whatever you think you have in mind, I have a better plan. And I want to pray for you. And I want to invite people to come down who, who want to pray for people. I just, just come down to the front. If you're one of those prayer warriors, meet us down front right now. If you're one of those people who need prayer right now, for whatever reason, maybe you want to just say, God is doing amazing things in my life. Will you pray with me? I want to thank God and I want you to help me thank God. Or maybe you have some, some pressing needs and you need to speak to somebody about them. Come on down. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Hey, we do that here too. Come on down. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this season. We thank you for giving us an idea, a plan of how we're supposed to live our life, for modeling that for us. And thank you for facing sin and the wages of sin head on for us, standing in the gap for us so that we don't have to do that. We want to do your will. Help us to be humble enough through prayer and fasting in the word to be able to uncover your will for our lives and give us the strength and courage to follow it in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. You guys have a blessed week.